You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. You're listening to the Archaeology Show. TAS goes behind the headlines to bring you the real stories about archaeology and the history around us. Welcome to the podcast. Hello and welcome to the Archaeology Show, episode 229. On today's show, we talk about the amazing food at Pompeii, the kingdom of David being found again, and an amazing Iron Age female warrior. Let's dig a little deeper into that ridiculous patriarchy and rip it down. <laughs> All right. Welcome to the show, everybody. How's it going? Good. I feel like it's been a minute. <laughs> <laughs> so we ran a rerun because life. It was kind of a rerun. It was an, an episode I recorded yeah. with you for Archaeotech. Oh, yeah. I guess it was so, a crossover. Yeah. It was a kind of a yeah. crossover. Yeah. And we got some good feedback from that episode. So if you yeah. guys like that tech episode... We've gone on and done the Archaeotech podcast a little bit, and we may do it some more because my co-host over there is yeah. back to Saudi Arabia in a week. And, like, I'm right here across the table from yeah. you, so it's easy for you to rope yeah. me into, you know, guest co-hosting with you. <laughs> right. So we may actually, like I said, if, if I don't have interviews, we don't, we often do interviews on that show. Mm-hmm. We may do some more, to, like, tech news shows Yeah, and focus it's, them over there. It is really fun to focus on the tech behind some of yeah. the news articles that we see coming out. So, and yeah. just keep in mind, on that particular show, the audience is designed to be, well, it thought to be very different, mm-hmm. typically professionals in archaeology and people interested in those in those spaces. So we don't pull any punches on the jargon and things like that. So True, but like... Yeah. I feel like I'm not like super technical anyway, so I make you <laughs> explain things to me. So. Yeah, that might be true. Yeah. <laughs> and also... We missed last week because, again, just didn't have the time for it. And there was a yeah. whole thing with buying a car and it was like this whole thing that just went out the door and, and yeah. it took several days and we just lost we just lost the we time. Just, yeah, like time just like slipped yeah. away and all of a sudden it was Saturday night and it was like, uh, yeah, I guess we're not doing this. <laughs> so much like us just like losing time, like we, we ended up having to eat out of different places, you know, similar to the people of Pompeii <laughs> when they needed fast food. Sometimes you got to eat quick. It was a bustling city. It was a bustling city. You know, I always heard that Pompeii was was more like a tourist town. Yeah. Uh, There's obviously people that live there, but it was a multicultural tourist town. And one of the things before I even became an archaeologist, and I think I've mentioned this on the show before, is I I took this guided tour when I was in the Navy back in 1996. We stopped in Naples and then a bunch of us took this guided tour. And the tour guide mentioned, of course, a bunch of Navy guys. He took us to one of the brothels. There are many. Mm -hmm. And because there were so many people on their way in and out of Pompeii, they had basically frescoes, pictures up on the wall of the positions that you wanted to do because the language, people didn't speak the same language. Yeah, there were lots of languages coming in. You basically just pointed to a girl or a boy, and then you pointed to the image and you said, I want to do that. Yeah. (laughs) So... I mean, I guess they got the job done, right? I guess so. so yeah. um, that's part of the tour still to this day, I think. Yeah. When we went on the Pompeii tour, I don't know, what was that, 2015 or 16? I, like I that, feel yeah. like we saw the same frescoes. So it's definitely yeah. part of their their thing. And what they're trying to show is that it was not just a tourist town, but like a, a truly multicultural port town, right? And like yeah. these ships would be stopping in you know, for resupply or whatever. And so it was a lot of sailors and a lot of people there that probably had money to spend too, mm-hmm. because, you know, they were doing jobs, they were on ships. So just a guess, but I think that's why these things like, you know, the, the fast food essentially popped up. Yeah. So what's 
prompting all this is an article titled Pompeii is back in the news or a mythical. I think I, I think I put that down. <laughs> Pompeii is back in the news. Um, <laughs> but Pompeii had kitchen shrines, dozens of bakeries and a pizza fresco. Yeah. And I don't know. Is this the same pizza fresco that was discussed a while back or a yes. different pizza fresco? It is the same one. So we'll talk about that yeah. as we go here. But okay. yes, it, it is the same one. And there's there's some things that were wrong with that initial right. announcement. So, okay. Anyway, it is a new excavation season in Pompeii, as you might imagine. You know, the summer is starting to wrap up. So news is starting to break. And I know we've talked about this before, but a nearly a third of Pompeii has never been excavated. Mm. So they're still going back there and excavating like a season every year. And yeah. sometimes it's salvage excavation because there's looters that are trying to, you know, sneak in there and, and get stuff out. But sometimes it's just like you know, regular pushing forward a science academic excavation, yeah. which is what it seems like this this particular excavation was. So it's a research team that was led by Alessandro Russo, and he's working in an area that has been excavated before, but not since the 1800s. So, okay. you know, 100 and so, 100 and some odd years since it's been touched. That's around when they first started excavating Pompeii. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I guess what happened is, is in the 1800s, the fronts of these houses were excavated but they were unable to go further into the buildings, either mm -hmm. unable or unwilling. That was a little unclear to me uh, from the article. Right. Maybe it was too hard, too dangerous, too something mm -hmm. back in the 1800s. But now, given the technology and the safety measures we have in place, probably they feel better about it. So they've they've been fully excavating these these structures. Could have been from a preservation standpoint, too. They didn't have the... The technology to keep the buildings intact as intact as they excavated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if they stopped themselves back then and it wasn't just like an artifact hunt, that's actually like really great. It means that the work that was done in the 1800s was probably really good to begin mm -hmm. with. But it is kind of like those excavations. There's places that are untouched still because we just know we don't have the technology to properly preserve it. And it seems like that might be how yeah. they were looking at it in the 1800s. One of the numbers that is striking from this article is, well, first off, the sheer size of Pompeii. Because mm -hmm. it says in here... I, I mean, I saw this number and I thought, oh, this is all, this is entirety of Pompeii that's been excavated. Yeah. It says 32,000 square feet in size is the size of the site for the dig that they're currently Th on. This is what they're currently Not reporting like on. all of Pompeii. No, no, no. That's just this site. <laughs> just this area. Yeah. yeah. 32,000 square feet. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's massive. Yeah. I mean, it's I think huge. it's into the square miles that Pompeii is. It, yeah. Is, is in size. Right? It was, a, it was a huge bustling port city. So yeah, yeah it was a, it was a really big place. Yeah. And in that 32,000 square feet, one of the things that they have recently discovered, and this is probably the most interesting thing, is a huge bakery. Mm -hmm. And it's a bakery that does not have a storefront. So they weren't selling bread out of this bakery, or at least they haven't found a storefront yet. And it's not in a traditional position that they would expect a storefront to be in if it is yeah. there. So it's so big that it's capable of producing 100 loaves a day. And they're thinking it was probably a wholesaler because that capacity combined with the lack of a storefront is like, well, what else were they doing? They were clearly baking bread here, but they were doing it to potentially supply the um, Pompeii fast food establishments that are mm -hmm. known as Thermopolia. Am I saying that right? <laughs> I might not Thermop be saying that right. Thermopolia. Thermopolia. Yeah. And th that name actually comes from archaeologists and it's not the ancient name for them. That's just yeah. what they ha we have started calling them as we find these things over the years. Hot drink counter. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Thermopolia. It well, is Greek for hot drink counter. And that makes sense. Thermo. Uh, yeah. He's like hot temperature. Oh, yeah. You know Greek now, don't you? I mean, no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's just like basic Greek and Latin, right? You can figure that. Like thermos. I, yeah. Keep I things know. hot. I'm making fun of you because you're doing yeah. Duolingo I in, am in Greek. anticipation of we're going to Greece at the end yes. of September. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, Aftos kane toast. Oh, good job. He I'm, makes toast. 
<laughs> anyway. I can also say things about pink avocados in case you were wondering how Duolingo works. I know. I don't know why they would teach you that. It's so weird. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, yeah, that was hot drink counter. And essentially it means fast food stand of various yeah. things. Yeah. And this is where the whole pizza thing comes in, by the way. So they found a fresco during their excavations showing what looked like a pizza. And I guess the internet exploded in late June about this. Yeah. I, I think I personally missed that, but you said you you caught it or read about it, right? Yeah, there was, I, I, th- I thought we discussed it on here, but we may or may not have. But mm-hmm. yeah, it was, they said it was, it looks like a pizza just because mm-hmm. it's a flat pizza, what's more likely focaccia yeah. with some things on it. Um, yeah. And some of those things people were saying, you know, kind of looks like tomatoes, mozzarella, but they didn't have those. Back yeah, they then. didn't have any of that. So yeah. it definitely was not what we would traditionally call pizza. But that doesn't mean it wasn't pizza like or a precursor to pizza. Some sort of bread with stuff on it baked in an sure. oven. I mean, who it wouldn't do that? Sounds amazing. It sounds like it was more like a focaccia with these this fruit yeah. and other condiments on it. Could you I imagine mean, like a date and goat, goat cheese focaccia? Like that sounds like I mean, like listen, life, right? Listen to yourself. <laughs> Like you're you're saying that oh this doesn't sound like traditional pizza because it doesn't have mozzarella and and sauce. We literally right. had pizza last night that had none of that on it. Yeah, it didn't. Did it? No, no it, it had balsamic sauce. vinegar. No, it had sauce on it, it though. Pesto. It had, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't mozzarella and red sauce. Though. Right. It really depends on your definition of pizza, but <laughs> but the, it does sound like you shouldn't consider what was on that fresco to be like a modern day you, like Naples style pizza. It I'm definitely pretty was upset not about that. this. You go to any <laughs> hipster pizza place right now, like some modern pizza place with like one word in the title of the restaurant, one syllable. And you're pie. hard your name is pie. Right. You're hard pressed to find a red sauce. Okay. A look, red sauce and or mozzarella to begin with. Controversial controversial <laughs> confession here. I prefer pizza that doesn't have red sauce on it which is not pizza it's well fine it's not pizza but that's how i prefer it i like a flatbread you prefer <laughs> conglomerated bread product and dates and goat cheese <laughs> and maybe some balsamic vinegar and ooh, onions that would be good too yeah. roasted garlic yeah see i just don't i'm i'm all for this being <laughs> yeah. focaccia rather than pizza so right. yeah Anyway. Well, <laughs> back to the excavation. Back to the excavation. Yeah. On this, they actually found um, a few skeletons, including two women and a child that looked like they were trying to take cover from the eruption. Now, mm-hmm. the major eruption that happened in 79 AD was not the only eruption. There was a, several eruptions that week. Mm-hmm. And people, I mean, by the time the big one hit, I doubt it was business as usual anywhere in Pompeii. People yeah, were evacuating. Yeah. People were trying to figure out what to do. Mm-hmm. You know, they were just trying to figure and out what's going on. They probably could not imagine it It in any way that their city was going to be covered in ash. Oh, no. They sure. probably thought they just hole up inside a building and then they'll dig themselves out like a probably blizzard. Like you would if there was a blizzard, you yeah. know, you just sort of let it pass and then you move on. And so how could you know that by taking cover, you're actually going to yeah. going to die there? It's again, well, the tragedy of Pompeii. It always like yeah. really strikes at the heart, you know, well, I imagine for most people, there's no rapid way to get out of that city either. Right. Like you can jump in the car and go. Yeah. You know, and even if you could. I mean, if people were evacuating, which I know a lot of people were likely leaving, especially tourists, mm-hmm. why would they stay? Mm-hmm. And and they were probably gone days ago yeah. when it first started going. Yeah. But yeah, it would have been chaos. It would have been for yeah. sure. And so you, you kind of have to forgive the people that just sort of like, like hold up somewhere. Like they just had no idea. How could you have known that that's what was going to happen? So, yeah. Right. So the final thing we'll talk about here is, yeah. of course... <laughs> Ritual. <laughs> Wait, where's my, because where's my coffee? It's, I know, it's 9.30 in the morning, still. so I'm going to... Oh, yeah. I never brought your coffee over. Sorry about that. 
Yeah, so <laughs> we may have a new graphic coming out on our T Public Spore about ritual uh, that Tristan is putting together. Oh, so, nice. Yeah. yeah, we do talk about it right. a lot. But anyway, they found what they're calling a kitchen shrine, <laughs> yeah. which is a detailed fresco. And what does it have? Like two yellow serpents uh, painted on the wall mm-hmm. or what they call good They're calling demons. those good demons. I don't know where they're getting yeah. that from, but that's what they're calling them. Now, they might have some other evidence that they're not yeah, talking about yeah, here that maybe. leads to this kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And there was, I mean, in this time period, even like today, you can walk into a you know, a business and see a, I'm going to just kind of call it a Jesus fish. I don't know what they actually call them. Like the Christian fish. <laughs> oh yeah. People the, call yeah. it a Jesus fish. You right. see that people advertise that on their businesses. So no That's different true. than back then. That's true. Yeah. Somebody could have had a shrine to some sort of God or deity mm-hmm. or just some sort of religious They're affirmation. Showing their religious preferences or allegiance or whatever on the outside of their shop. Or which... Literally trying to speak to the gods and say, favor my shop. Yeah. Maybe. You know? yeah. yeah. They they said in the article that the shrine in the kitchen, allowed people to offer food on their altars potentially so you could like buy food as an offering you know that's a hell of a sales pitch right there it's like hey you want to buy some of this food you can just give it right back you you can you can do it (laughs) just offer it to the gods and then maybe like your voyage will be and then they walk away and just put that food back on the shelf and it's just like a cycle oh my god God, that that would be like some genius like marketing i'm i'm definitely on board with that that's why god smited them with with fire and brimstone right yeah so well this article is from Insider and it's clearly just a press release, right? Like they just are getting some information out about what they found. So this is not an academic article. It's These are just assumptions. It sounds like that people are drawing from what they found so far, but there's not full evidence or yeah. there's not, there's not any evidence specifically behind right. this yet. So yeah. yeah. All right. Well, we are going to end this one now. I'm sure there'll be more stuff about Pompeii as the summer unfolds <laughs> right. because that's just how it goes. Yeah. End of summer is the time to release yeah. all the things that you've done that are cool, right? Exactly. Which is how we get, you know, well, pizza frescoes. Is, <laughs> right. This is where the press releases come out yeah. ahead of the papers. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Papers, I wouldn't think till next year, probably. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, usually. Yeah. Or over the winter sometime. Yeah. All right. Well, now we're going to go to a slightly different part of the world down in Israel and we're going to talk about a guy's opinion where we're going to look at, um, you know, a historical figure and whether this young upstart was a king or just a really popular shepherd. <laughs> Back in a minute. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Spread the word. The JCPenney Friends and Family Sale is back. And this week, we're passing the savings on to you. Use your extra 30% off coupon to prep your home and style your family for Easter. That's extra savings on top of our great low prices. Plus, share your coupon with everyone you know and love. It's always better when we save together. JCPenney. Make everybody count. Offer valid 311 through 317. Exclusions apply. See store or jcp.com for details. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. 
Welcome back to episode 229 of the Archaeology Show. Good job. You remembered what show you're on. <laughs> no, I was trying to do that whole pretentious Ohio State thing. I just got canceled by a whole bunch of people in the Midwest. I don't know what you're talking about. They I feel like I missed Ohio something. State? Oh, the I don't even really know oh, sports. Oh man, you that really bo- that's not oh. the first time you've talked about that. You know, it really bothers you, doesn't it? Mm. Do you see like bumper stickers out there where the <laughs> the, the, the is just like huge because if you don't say it, it's just not the same. And it's like people who in Nevada who have the it's Nevada, not it's not Nevada, Nevada. Yeah, it's Nevada. Nevadans yeah. get very uppity about the pronunciation <laughs> of Nevada. Who cares? Just be lucky people are visiting. <laughs> All right. So speaking of visiting, somebody's visited the biblical kingdom of David yet again, or at least they think they have. Or have they? (laughs) Yeah. It sounds like lots of people may have and just didn't realize it. Uh, Or have they? (laughs) So it turns out that a number of times people have thought they've found the historic biblical kingdom of David, King David. Mm -hmm. And we'll talk about him here in a second, but... Actually, we'll talk about it right now. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> I don't know where my notes are. <laughs> we actually took a little bit of a break so I could have another business meeting uh, yeah. prior to this segment. So I'm a little out of sorts. <laughs> anyway, in the Hebrew Bible, for those that don't know, like myself, King David was the shepherd that slayed the giant Goliath. Everybody's heard of David and Goliath. Yeah. And I was um, this many years old when I realized <laughs> that the King David that I've heard of before right. is the same David of David and Goliath. It's so funny. I didn't grow up religious. Yeah. And I guess when you do grow up religious, yeah. it, that stuff is just like in your head and you just know it. Yeah. I had no but, idea it was the same yeah. person. I mean, there's lots of same names in the Bible. It's a big book. True. You know? I could see why you wouldn't yeah. think they'd be connected. But in this case, they are. So, yeah. Yeah. David doesn't sound like an Israeli name. I'm probably going to get canceled for that one, too. I'm not really sure where that's coming from. Uh, but, uh, I think it is. It, it, it's Hebrew, it? I think. Yeah. It's like just, the Star of David, all of that. You know? Yeah, I hear you. But is yeah. it like an Americanization of the name? No, I don't I think so. It, no. Uh, okay. Anyway, the fame of doing that, according to the Bible, uh, mm-hmm. eventually led him to become king of the tribe of Judah and later all the tribes of Israel. Right. right. Because Israel was still very tribal back then, of course, mm-hmm. as lots of places and were. This is all from the Bible. Yes. This is where all this information is coming from. We don't know anything about the real David, if there was a real David. We know and very little. Yeah. There's almost no evidence, yeah. archaeolog- archaeological or otherwise, to support him or his existence. Yeah. And it's not just him or his existence. It's this entire like kingdom. Yeah. Like, yeah. Whether or not right. something mm-hmm. like this actually existed, you'd think we'd mm-hmm. have evidence of it. Now, absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. Right. Right. Just because we haven't found it yet doesn't mean it wasn't a real thing. Yeah. But in such a heavily populated area right now. And where a lot of archaeological yeah. work is being done. But there's still... There's still a chance that there's something that we haven't found yet. There oh, sure. always is. Yeah, always. We'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that later. But yeah, Professor Joseph Garfinkel, um, who's professor of prehistoric archaeology and archaeology of the biblical period at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem, thinks otherwise. Mm, he's of done. Course. Yeah, he's done somewhat of a study, and he published this in the Jerusalem Journal of Archaeology, which is a peer-reviewed journal, and is linked in the show notes. So there's mm-hmm. actually two. IFL science articles. One is the one that we found and they linked to another one from like 2019 or something Mm -hmm. where somebody also said they think they found the kingdom of David because this isn't the first time or it won't be the last. Mm -hmm. And then also the original journal article that he published in is in the show notes. So if you want to go see all that, go check it out. It kind of seems like any time a large-ish compound of a sort is found in this area it's like kingdom of david (laughs) yeah exactly yeah yeah and now this guy thinks that he wasn't 
like some historians think that he wasn't just the ruler over a small tribe. Mm -hmm. You know, he gained this fame from David and Goliath, which is apparently they're not disputing that part. I don't know why. Yeah. Yeah. They're just assuming David was a person uh and had some influence, but it was less than people think. Okay. He wasn't a king. He was a popular shepherd. Okay. (laughs) I mean, there's, you know, he plays such a big role in the Bible. It makes sense that it was based on a real person at right. some point there's some kind of truth to it yeah there's nuggets of truth you know throughout any sort there of document are, like that yeah you know even yeah. if it's been you know blown up a little bit because mm-hmm. of religious fervor and things like that right so, and because people are writing hundreds of years later potentially so yeah like the yeah. word of mouth it's like telephone the game of telephone yeah. the, it just gets bigger as time goes by so all of that does make sense yeah professor garfinkel here says that uh, he thinks a network of fortified cities around Jerusalem that date to the early 10th century BCE, and that's undisputed, mm-hmm. represent the kingdom of Judah built by David. Uh, and that's 200 years earlier than mm-hmm. previously thought. The timing works out to match up with kind of the Bible. Yeah. And these fortified cities, which are all near each other, mm-hmm. but they're not like, you know, one big city. They're all near each other. Um, but he thinks that that represents... You know, the kingdom. The kingdom. Yeah, because if it did, that would be pretty significant because, you know, something like this probably didn't really exist in Jerusalem at the time unless somebody made the first big kingdom of Judah uh, in the Jerusalem area, right? Yeah, and I'm just like, okay, so we've got these different cities or villages or whatever they might be that are near each other. That have been excavated independent of each other, probably. And he's sort of linking them all together and yeah. saying, this is the kingdom right here. Is that sort well, of what's happening? Yeah. And what he's doing is he's saying the sim- the cities all date to a similar time frame. They all have a similar design. Uh-huh. And that is mostly encompassed by the two parallel walls outside the inner portion of the cities, apparently. They are also linked by a series of roads. Sure. So they're connected. And that implies that the people were connected as part of a kingdom or at least a big group of people. I mean, all of that yeah. sounds totally fair to me. The The part where I drop off is like, but why is this the kingdom of David? Like, just yeah. because it happens to be at the same time as what the Bible said. I think so. The kingdom of David was. And it was so. it was likely the first big kingdom in this area. I mean, yeah. we're talking about the 10th century BC, 3000 years ago. Mm-hmm. So it really was very tribal back then. And yeah. David, if I'm not mistaken, was like the first one to unite the tribes of Israel, right? Right, right. right. So, yeah. I mean, let's go Catholic scroll girl. Was that, uh, you know? <laughs> I mean, I know like, I know just enough to be dangerous, right? Like I've got right. like this surface level knowledge that I remember from my yeah. my uh, religious catechism days or whatever, but like, it's not, it's not good. Yeah. <laughs> not reliable. Well, Garfinkel <laughs> subscribes to the idea that David was the powerful ruler uh, that is described and written in the Bible. Mm-hmm. He says that it's the minimalists out there that make David out to be a shepherd that ruled over a small village. And right. I think, I mean, personally, I think the the minimalists, as he calls it, are just people that are going off the current evidence that we have. They're not right. making an assumption because the Bible says it's so. They're making an assumption based on the current archaeological evidence. Yes. And ethno-historical evidence, really. Right. I mean, there's a lot of written written stuff around there. There's, uh, you know, a lot of history there. Yeah. He says also that he's not necessarily a maximalist. But that the kingdom, uh, which would mean David was ruler over everybody, mm-hmm. but that the kingdom David did rule over included Jerusalem, uh, Hebron, and a few cities around them. He says that's the urban core of his kingdom. Again, I'm not like mad about any of this. Like it all does kind of make sense, except for the the David piece. Yeah. It's like, why him? With, why him? And you don't have any evidence of him specifically. You're just sort of circumstantially saying, well, these are all around the same time. Yeah. 
And also the Bible says there was a ruler around the same time who brought them together. So therefore David, right. kingdom of David, you know, like I, yeah. that's, that's, that's where it sort of falls apart for me a little bit, but yeah. And I mean, anytime we've found, you know, evidence of a ruling class or anything in mm-hmm. any part of the world, you often find stuff that is branded with the ruler, whether it's True. some sort of coinage or, right. you know, uh, frescoes and, and carvings on walls. Mm-hmm. And I mean, if we have evidence of these cities, I don't know what's left, but uh, if we have any of these, then there would be something. You would think. To um, link them all together like yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, but again, absence doesn't mean it's not there. It just means that we haven't found yeah. it yet. So maybe it is there to be found. Yeah, but if we've ex- but, excavated these like five cities. Yeah. I mean, come on. And and also with archaeology, it's really, really hard to get super specific dates. So they're saying that these five places are overlapping. But like, what's the overlap? Are we talking two to five hundred years? Because that's not one ruler. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. that's many rulers over that broad period of time. Now, right. if you have a 20 year overlap where they are all growing up and getting bigger at the same time, then that does represent one ruler. Yeah. So I would be interested to see how that evidence supports what he's saying as well. Yeah. He says specifically that he's not trying to prove the Bible real. Mm-hmm. That's like not his, his goal. Sure. He's not, but <laughs> and, and historically accurate. <laughs> yeah. But uh, his detractors say he's, do- that's exactly what he's doing. Mm-hmm. He's starting from a premise of all this is real. Yeah. And I'm going to, now I need to prove it, which is yeah. so dangerous yeah. in the world of science, right? Like yeah. you can't go into it like that. You can have a hypothesis. You should have a hypothesis, but you shouldn't be trying to prove it because then you're just skewing your own data. Right. Mm-hmm. And you're trying to shoehorn data into this idea that you had rather than looking at what it actually is telling you. Mm -hmm. Super dangerous. Yeah. The researchers think he's making too many generalizations. Other scholars in this area. Yeah. Details Uh, don't line up. Probably exactly like I said about the whole dates of these different cities and stuff like that. Like it's got to be pretty exact to be one kingdom, right? right? Well, and like you said, the whole game of telephone thing, when this was written down, Mm -hmm. he says uh, they've in the article here, they've linked likened it to like they call the fisherman's tale. You yeah, know, your standard. Uh, Every yeah. time you tell it, the fish gets it bigger gets and bigger. Big, yeah, yeah. They say <laughs> just like that, the kingdom of David was probably a small ruling area. Mm-hmm. That's likely true, but yeah. that it's just been blown out of proportion into this like huge thing. Yeah. So, and you know, I would say if we're just talking about generalizations and what ifs here, if David really was an influential, powerful leader in his local area. Mm-hmm. There's nothing saying that maybe a couple of tribes or nearby tribes wouldn't have combined forces and, you know, come under one, uh, one rule. Right. Sure. I mean, that yeah. definitely happens all the time. Yep. So, but the other thing you can't ignore is that if you've got five distinct cities that mm-hmm. are separate from each other or villages, it's entirely possible that they built roads to connect each other, but they weren't united yeah. under one ruler. Maybe they had five separate rulers who just got along really well and created this interconnecting, you know, right. thing, but they weren't necessarily under one ruler together. It, that definitely yeah. did happen. So, I mean, it's not the first time or will be the last time that somebody <laughs> says they found the kingdom of David. Right, but I of will course. say, archaeologically speaking, the only way we're going to be, definitely be able to put a nail in this coffin, so to speak. Mm, is that a little too? Anyway, um, I didn't <laughs> I do that on fine. purpose. <laughs> anyway, the only way we're going to be able to put this thing to bed is if we find something that says David on it's it. It's got to say David. I mean, yeah. honestly, it does. Mm-hmm. With, with, I mean, other archaeological sites, we don't have to see like a word like, you know, mm-hmm. made in Pompeii, right? Mm-hmm. But for this, we kind of do. Yeah. If, if you're, you're tra- saying it's a person. You have to have the actual proof. Yeah. And like you said, there are plenty of other examples of cities from this area and elsewhere that have the name of the ruler yeah. or an image that represents that ruler. And yeah. that's the kind of thing we need until we get that. It's just like circumstantial, right? You can 
there's there's no scientific proof here. It's just conjecture until you have that. Yeah. I guess I wrote in my notes here, I forgot that other article refers to a 2018 um, dig, I guess. Yeah, yeah. When researchers mm-hmm. found a large house outside of Jerusalem on the way to Gaza that dates to about the 10th century BCE. Mm. So again, uh, one of the things I read, and I don't think I wrote it down here, was that, you know, people say that back in the 10th century BCE, Jerusalem was basically a small town. It wasn't a big city. Right. It was a small village mm-hmm. with like outlying communities. Mm-hmm. So if anything had grown up to be this huge kingdom or this this like massive influence, mm-hmm. you'd know about it. Yeah. There yeah. would be evidence. There would be massive disruption. There would be a mm-hmm. massive change in the archaeological record. I mean, it would have taken, you know, t- decades right. for, for David to to gain this influence, build up a, a kingdom and then mm-hmm. start building stuff. Right. Yeah. That would have taken decades. But for sure, there would be evidence of it now. Yeah. And I mean, these these five cities are the evidence that this Professor Garfunkel says does exist. Mm-hmm. But again, Unless it says David on the wall somewhere, David was here. <laughs> right. You know, then like, how can you say you can't conclusively prove it? Right. I'm not saying he's wrong either. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to because, you know, I think everybody believes that the Bible is somewhat based yeah. in something that happened in real life. You know, there is yeah. some there's nuggets of truth, like you said, in there. So there there is something to be found archaeologically speaking. It's just that is it a whole network of villages or is right. it just like one village where there was a guy who led it, who who became the David of the Bible yeah. through word of mouth and the, the fish, the fish thing, like you said, exactly. the fish gets bigger. So, yeah. Well, we're going to have a bonus segment because I needed to learn something about David. <laughs> and the bonus segment is going to be talking about what we know about David. Okay. So well, we're going to do that, but I'll just blow a little bit out of the water. Did we even know that he lived in the 10th century BCE? Oh, that's actually kind of a huge question. Mm-hmm. Is that extrapolated from the Bible and all the dates in there? You know, where do we get that? Oh, and man. does that even put him in the right Biblical spot? Biblical archaeology. It's like this this yeah. rabbit hole that you can fall down into yeah. <laughs> for sure. So while we may not know much about David, um, we do some know some things about a badass female warrior. Let's talk about her on the other side. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply. Welcome back to episode 229 of The Archaeology Show. You have to say the the. <laughs> Otherwise you get canceled. All I'm right, so you. <laughs> let's talk about a... You know, we're going to talk about a badass female warrior, 
because mm-hmm. uh, that's what somebody said in one of the things. Mm-hmm. But I'll tell you what, there's kind of a lot of these. Yeah, it seems like it's coming up a lot lately, yeah. right? It's it's uh, it's kind of cool though because all of our you know preconceived notions from the old patriarchy and archaeology mm-hmm. is just like constantly being shattered. It's getting broken down <laughs> like like everywhere we turn yeah. in different ways by different people. It's really cool, and it's partly because of technology, which is why this this grave this mm-hmm. this burial is coming up again is because we have more technology and we can do more testing on it essentially yeah you got to take a look at the article too before we get started if you mm-hmm. can because it's from the washington post and they've just got a picture of a sword on there uh-huh. and i'm telling you what that is like a zombie killing sword right there yeah, that it's, is it's for real you know yeah we're, we're finally watching the walking dead because i think we're the only ones that haven't i know right <laughs> and, <laughs> we're only uh, 10 years behind it's fine yeah, i know i know <laughs> but i'm saying this is this is a zombie killer. Yeah, it's that's amazing. what I would use because yeah. I wouldn't want them to hear me. So, you know. Yeah, you don't want to use bullets. No, for sure. no. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, yep. so this is a 2000 year old grave. And oh, let me just read the title here. It is 2000 year old grave probably belonged to a female warrior study says. Yes. And so it's an Iron Age grave that was accidentally discovered by a farmer on a small island off the southwestern tip of England in 1999. So we've known about it for a while. Yeah. It was richly furnished. Like you said, there's a sword and there's also a mirror. That little round thing next to the sword in the image is a mirror. And you might be thinking that is a weird thing to find together, right? Sword and mirror. What? I'm just like, really? Like badass female warrior and we've got a sword and like a compact? Seriously. (laughs) I know. (laughs) But like these are things that represented gender for this group probably, right? So they or represented her, whoever she was. Right. But yeah, like a sword and a mirror found together, that is super weird because typically you would think swords with males and then mirrors with females. So Mm -hmm. there's definitely, that's already breaking the norm. So in 1999, when they found that, they knew that they had something strange going on, but they didn't know exactly what. And that was kind of where that story mostly ended at that time. The island it was found on is called the the Isle of Skilly or Silly, S-C-I-L-L-Y. We have you just want to be silly. Figured out how to pronounce that. You just want it to be silly. I do. I want it to be silly. Isle of Silly. I'm going with it. So It's in England. It's in, it's in England. Yeah. And the reason the story kind of ended in 1999 when it was first found is because the preservation of the skeletal remains was pretty terrible. There's almost nothing left. Mm-hmm. They had a dark stain, which I know from my cemetery excavations that I've done over the years, that is pretty typical. Like sometimes you have nothing left at all. You just, the preservation just isn't good for bones and you just don't have it. You just have like from the decomposition of the body, yeah. it, it darkens the soil and that that's it really. Could that be like a really bad archaeological insult to sell somebody's like, you're just a dark stain on yeah. history. <laughs> I'm, I'm down for it. <laughs> <laughs> of course, that's not even an insult because um, eventually everybody's a dark stain. Yeah, that's somehow. true. <laughs> yeah, there's really nothing to be like sad about there. <laughs> right. All we are is one big skid mark on the earth. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> it doesn't even last forever either. Like eventually that stain will be gone yeah, too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so in addition to the dark stain, they found just 5.3 ounces or 150 grams of bone and teeth. That's fact not fragments. a lot. Yeah. If you look in the article, you'll see like a pile of like just the saddest little pile of of little fragments that you've ever seen. And that is all that remains of this person. Yeah, that's not a lot, especially considering that that bone is probably extremely dried out. So mm-hmm. that's why there's more than it looks like this should be there. Like if this yeah. were actual like fresh bone, it would weigh a lot more. It would. Yeah. yeah. It dries out. Yeah. And 
you're probably only getting like the ends of bones that are that are left sure. because those like thicker pieces are the ones that last longer. You know, mm-hmm. you're not you're not getting any of the real fragile bits, but but they do have teeth. And the one thing that teeth can do is tell you a little bit about the age. So they do know that the individual was between 20 and 25 years old when they died. But other than that, that's really all they can say. Teeth are not going to tell you if this is a man or a woman. They're not going to tell you anything else. All you can yeah. get from teeth are is the age. And that's if you are lucky and have the right pieces. So they got lucky there. So you did the research on this one. Do you mm-hmm. know if they did any dietary studies with the teeth? Because you can often tell kind of where they came from Good based question. on what their teeth composition was made of. Yeah, no, they did not talk about that at all in the article. So hmm. I don't know if that is something that has yet to be done or if they just don't have the right kind of preservation to right. do that kind of research. I'm not sure, but... It would be interesting to know because, like I said, in 1999, when this was found, they couldn't do identify sex and they couldn't even get DNA out of these fragments. So they really knew nothing other than the fact that this person was between 20 and 25 years old. But they have reanalyzed recently Mm -hmm. as technology has moved forward. We have different options now. And one of that is to analyze the protein found in the dental enamel. And through that protein analysis, they can determine that the remains belong to a female. So they take that and they combine that with the grave goods that they found. That would be the sword and the mirror and some of the other metal objects that were there. And they are coming to the conclusion that this was probably some kind of warrior leader type of person, but a woman. So that's really cool. Cool. Yep. And this was all published in the Journal of Archaeological Science Reports. And that link is in the show notes and it is open access i believe yeah. even if it's not open access you should be able to see the photos and the, and the figures and stuff like that which is always an interesting addition to the news reporting which is the washington post article yeah. that we pulled this from you can kind of really get the full story without reading the whole journal article if you have those two things yeah so why were they able to determine sex from proteins Basically, tooth enamel is super hard and durable and that allowed them to pull the proteins out and in this case, with the analysis techniques that they use, they were able to calculate a 96% probability that the remains are female. That's so cool. that is pretty sure this, there. This is the first, at least that I can remember, that I've heard of that you can actually sex based on proteins pulled out of tooth enamel. Yeah. I didn't and, know that. Yeah, you can. And it has to do, um, I don't want to go into that science too much because they didn't cover it in this article and I did not research it separately, mm-hmm. but it is the the protein... Oh, man. Yeah, I'm not going to try. It's, yeah, but yeah. basically, you there are techniques where you can pull proteins out and you can tell male or female based on that. So, yeah, yeah. that's pretty cool. Yep. Yeah, that kind of opens up a, a lot of stuff because teeth last for a long time yeah. in the archaeological record. And, yeah. a lot, and a lot of times it's the only thing left. Yeah, for you know? sure. So, so, yeah. I was just thinking we could probably go back pretty far into the past before things fossilized, you know? Mm-hmm. So, we probably can't get into like paleoanthropology far back but well maybe i don't know it It just just depends depends. it just depends on the preservation right but yeah i feel like that kind of technique will really give us a lot of answers at least as far as male or female i mean Mm -hmm. that doesn't always tell you a whole lot more but it does give you some idea of what you're looking at so this burial is quite rich in comparison to contemporary burials which is why they are concluding that she was likely of some significance right there's just a lot more burial goods And Sarah Stark is the human skeletal biologist at Historic England and one of the study's authors. And she says that Iron Age Britain was a pretty tough place (laughs) and that there was a lot of violence, warfare and raiding. Yeah. Obviously, like you might imagine. 
And other burials from the area show that women definitely participated in the violence and warfare, but they weren't usually buried with grave goods of this caliber. Mm. So that's why this is just adding to this picture that women not only participated in the activities, but they might've been leading commanding, you know, had a more significant role than just either being the victims of this kind of violence and raiding or, but like actually doing it and participating in it. So, well, like I said in the beginning, this is constantly adjusting our idea of gender roles Mm -hmm. and gender specific tasks and things that people did. It's not, it's not black and white. No, it's it definitely isn't. Yeah. Just like it isn't today. Yeah. You know, and it hasn't been for a long time. I mean, if you, if you look in the historical record, what you're looking at is, I mean, a lot of times history that's written, painted and discussed by men mm-hmm. and it's going to be biased and mm-hmm. it's going to be looking at society in a certain way. Right. And in some cases there, you know, through history, there have been pretty strict gender roles. But if you just look around, I mean, even even England, which seems like a pretty strict one way or the other kind of place has had queens and kings for the last several hundred years oh, ruling sure. over England. Yeah, right? for sure. Not just like all kings. Yeah, I, I think that it's, you can't understate how much of an influence the patriarchal nature of the roots and beginnings of archaeology, like how much that influenced how we interpret yeah. the sites that we found. Right. Like in the 17 and 1800s, it really was a male dominated society and because of that, the men, men yeah. primarily, that were doing the archaeology work really instilled their values, their patriarchal values on the the finds that they were making, the yeah. things and the people and the places. So it's like you have to both break down that tradition from 100, 200 years ago and then also try to look at it without applying your own biases on it right now, too. <laughs> like right. we might want to apply a more gender equal image to it because that's where we are now and so you have to be careful not to do that too you it's yeah. like looking at this stuff objectively i think is really really difficult but that's what it seems like they're trying to do with stuff like this like mm-hmm. yeah it looked like it would have been a male because of the leadership nature of it but actually this was a female and the science shows that so yeah. science and the the i don't know chemistry of it all that sure. is what talks here right yeah All right. Well, that's about all we have time for this time. Well, we got more time, but that's all we have to say. So (laughs) um, we do have a bonus segment for our members. If you're Mm -hmm. not a member, arcpodnet.com forward slash members, and you can join in with the conversation over on Slack that we have for all of our members. And more specifically, just in case you guys don't get our newsletter, which you can sign up for over at arcpodnet.com. Uh, actually, if you just scroll up a little bit, it'll have a little thing that shows up if you've never been there that says, hey, join our newsletter. Mm Mm-hmm. It goes out every Friday, but one of the things we're promoting right now is our Culturo Share event oh, that's yeah. coming up about underwater and maritime archaeology. Mm-hmm. And that's coming up on August 20th, 2023. Mm-hmm. If you can't make that, that's a Sunday and it's at 10 a.m. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons for that is we have a pretty large UK audience, so we want them to be able to participate. And the person that's our MC for this is the host of the Tea Break Time Travel podcast, mm-hmm. uh, Matilda Siebrecht, and she is in Germany. Yeah. <laughs> so that's mm-hmm. why it's at 10 a.m. in the morning, yep. uh, Pacific mm-hmm. time. So varying times, but if you can't make that, it's a free event. Then if you are a member, you can see the video and watch the whole Q&A and the speakers and all that stuff anytime you want on your member pages over at arcpodnet.com forward slash members. Yeah, so, for sure. Uh, membership is like 76 bucks a year if you want a discount. If you don't, it's seven ninety nine a month. 
and it really helps us out and and keeps literally keeps these lights on so <laughs> right yeah but anyway thanks for that enjoy the bonus segment if you can get access to it if you can't please go try <laughs> and uh we'll see you next time bye Thanks for listening to The Archaeology Show. Feel free to comment and view the show notes on the website at www.archpodnet.com. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ArcPodNet. Music for this show is called I Wish You Would Look from the band Sea Hero. Again, thanks for listening and have an awesome day. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV traveling the United States, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, DigTech LLC, Cultural Media, and the Archaeology Podcast Network, and was edited by Chris Webster. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.